G'day, my name is Jeff. It's my privilege to look with you at Nahum chapter 3. Today, can I encourage you to have your Bible open? We'll read Nahum 3, think about what it means and how it applies to us. We'll also help you to use the outline on the order of service. Let's pray and we'll ask God to enable us to understand and apply his word from Nahum 3. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word in this book of Nahum. We pray that you help us to understand what this passage says in its original context and how it applies to us on this side of the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to put into practice what we learn that we may live faithfully for you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I am not a gambler. I've, I've, I've never played a poker machine. I've never bought a lottery ticket. I've never put a bet on a football game. I don't play cards, I don't play mahjong. I'm, I'm not a person who likes to gamble. My dad has a saying, gambling is a taxation on stupidity. I reckon he's right. According to government statistics, around two thirds of Australian adults gamble. And in the year, 2017 to 18, Australians lost almost $25 billion gambling. Around 200,000 Australians are identified as medium to high risk problem gamblers, causing great hardship to the million or so people who rely on them. And meanwhile, the government profits from gambling by approximately $6 billion per year. As my dad says, it's a taxation on stupidity. And my dad speaks his wisdom from bitter experience. My dad's dad, that is my grandfather, he was a chronic gambler. Every Saturday, he and my grandmother used to go to the horse races. I remember fondly, many, many times as a child going with them. I used to absolutely love it. And I have to admit, I did, as a child, often have a bet. Whenever we went to the races, my nan and I would put an each-way bet on one horse that we liked the look of. But for my grandfather, he wasn't just a punter. He used to own racehorses, many, many racehorses. And uh, as far as racehorse owners go, he was, he was extremely successful. My grandfather's horses won more than 50 metropolitan races. In fact, in the year that I was born, one of his horses, a horse called Royal Palmer, won the Golden Slipper. In one newspaper article, my grandfather was described as the luckiest horse race owner in Australia. As far as gamblers go, my grandfather did pretty much as well as anybody, but even my grandfather's luck ran out. By the time he died in 1983, he left my dad with an absolute mess. Uh, debts everywhere, a business that was um, failing, and a couple of leftover racehorses. It took my dad years and years of, of, of very, very hard work to recover my grandfather's losses. Friends, friends, gambling's a bad idea. To, to, to misquote the Hunger Games, the odds are never in your favour. You almost certainly will not win. You will throw away your money. You will make life worse for yourself and for the people who you care for. 
It, it's a bad idea. But what if you could know the result beforehand? What if somehow you could know in advance which horse wins or which team wins? What if, what if you knew the winning lotto numbers the day before the draw? Of course, you'd race out and buy a ticket. Wouldn't you, if you knew for sure that your numbers would win? I think it was, uh, was it one of the Back to the Future movies? Um, I think it was one of the Back to the Future movies where this happens. Uh, one of the guys, I think he's the bad guy in the movie, he, um, he, he uses the time machine to, to go into the future and he finds out who wins various baseball games and so on. And then he goes back in time and he puts bets onto the winning team. Not really gambling anymore, is it? Uh, technically, it's cheating rather than gambling. But you'd do it, wouldn't you? You'd, you'd put your money on a sure thing. You'd bet on a sure thing. Well, in this third and final chapter of his prophecy, Nahum tells us about a sure thing, a certain thing. Something will definitely happen. Nahum says that God will judge and destroy the city of Nineveh. Now this chapter, it's in three sections, but, but each section points to the same, same big idea. Nineveh's destruction is a sure thing. Uh, Nahum starts off the chapter, section one, by, by talking about Nineveh's sin, their, 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 their terrible sin. Uh, the people of Nineveh have been violent, he says, uh, shedding blood. Uh, they've been deceitful, Nahum says, telling lies. And he says that their city is full of plunder and victims because they've attacked and stolen from the nations all around them. They've inflicted dreadful suffering. Nahum chapter 3 and verse 1. Have a look with me. Nahum chapter 3 and verse 1. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. Nineveh have sinned. And so now, Nahum, what he does, he, 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 he vividly pictures their sure destruction. He describes the, the sights and the sounds of it all, uh, the the, 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 the that kind of gives you a sensory experience of Nineveh's defeat. Uh, terrifying soldiers that are attacking in chariots and you end up with fields covered with the dead bodies of Ninevites. Verse 2. The crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses. Nineveh will be destroyed. And why? 
because of her sin. She is godless, idolatrous, violent and greedy. Nahum pictures her as a, a, a prostitute and, and a witch enslaving the nations around her. That's why her doom is sure. Verse 4, all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute alluring the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution and people by her witchcraft. Nineveh is full of sin. And so God declares his judgment. First, Nineveh will be exposed. Her sin will be brought to light for everyone to see. Verse 5, I am against you, declares the Lord. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. Nineveh will be exposed. Second, Nineveh will be disgraced. Verse 6, I will pelt you with filth. I will treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. Exposed, disgraced. And then third, God says, they will be left alone. Desolate, no one to help, no one to comfort. Verse 7, all who see you, all who see you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is in ruins. Who will comfort, who will mourn for her? Where can I find anyone to comfort you? Okay, that, that's the first section of the chapter. Nineveh will surely be destroyed. And why? Because of their dreadful sin against God and man. Nineveh's destruction is a sure thing because of their sin. In the second section of the chapter, Nahum compares Nineveh, the city of Nineveh, to the city of Thebes. Uh, Thebes was the capital city of the Egyptian empire. Uh, The Ninevites, they defeated the city of Thebes in 663 B.C., And the point of this comparison is this. Uh, Thebes, they thought they were invulnerable. And yet Nineveh defeated them. Nahum says, Nineveh, you have no more reason to think you're invulnerable than Thebes did. He he, he says, does does Nineveh have water around it? So did Thebes. Does Nineveh have lots of allies? So did Thebes. Does Nineveh have strong fortress walls? So did Thebes. Does Nineveh have a strong army? It won't be strong enough. The people of Nineveh might think they're indestructible, but they're wrong. Compared to God, Nineveh is weak and pathetic, and God will surely destroy them. Verse 8. Are you better than Thebes, situated on the Nile with water around her? The river was her defence. The water's her wall. Cush and Egypt were her boundless strength. Put and Libya were among her allies. Yet she was taken, into cap- taken captive and went into exile. Her infants were dashed to pieces at every street corner. Lots were cast for her nobles and all her great men were put in chains. You too will become drunk. You will go into hiding and seek refuge from the enemy. All your fortresses are like fig trees with their first ripe fruit When they are shaken, the figs fall into the mouth of the eater. Look at your troops. They're all weaklings. The gates of your land are wide open to your enemies. Fire has consumed the gates, the bars of your gates. Uh, Like many of us, I try to catch up each day with the Premier's press conference. And pretty much every day it's the same. They tell us about the people in hospital and the people who died, and they particularly emphasise that a whole 
lot of them are young and didn't don't have any didn't have any underlying medical medical conditions they keep stressing that fact why do you reckon they do that why do they keep stressing the fact that young people without prior medical conditions get COVID and get very sick from it why well because too many Australians think they're invulnerable too many Australians think I'm young I'm healthy COVID can't get me it won't hurt me the government is trying to say, the Premier and the Health Officer each day, they're trying to say, look at the facts. People who are young and healthy can get very sick from COVID. Don't think you're invulnerable. Naam is saying the same kind of thing to Nineveh here. Thebes was a city very much like Nineveh. They thought they were invulnerable. They were wrong. And if Nineveh... If Nineveh think they're invulnerable, they're also in for a shock because God is going to destroy them. That's the second section of the chapter. Nineveh's destruction is a sure thing, as sure as the destruction of Thebes. Now, in the third and final section, it's, it, it's almost as if, as if Nahum is... Um, as if he's taunting Nineveh. As if he's teasing them, mocking them. Nahum says, go on, Nineveh, give it your best shot. Go ahead, make God's day. Try to resist God as much as you like. You will fail. He says uh, in verse 14, he says, prepare the very best you can for a siege. Get water, strengthen your walls. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you do, you're going to lose. Verse 14. Draw water for the siege. Strengthen your defences. Work the clay. Tread the mortar. Repair the brickwork. There the fire will consume you. The sword will cut you down. They will devour you like a swarm of locusts. Naam says, he says to Nineveh, you gather as many troops as you can. Again, it won't do you any good. Your merchants won't help you. Your guards won't help you. Your officials won't help you. Nahum says, gather as many people together as a locust horde. Not going to make any difference. Like locusts, they will all disappear. You cannot beat God. Still in verse 15. Multiply like grasshoppers. Multiply like locusts. You've increased the number of your merchants till they are more numerous than the stars in the sky. But like locusts, they strip the land and then fly away. Your guards are like locusts, your officials like a swarm of locusts that settle in the walls on a cold day, but when the sun appears, they fly away and no one knows where. And then Nam finishes off this section with a prophecy um, for the king of Assyria. He tells the king what he's going to feel like when he's defeated. Everyone will have failed him. The nations will rejoice in his destruction. Nahum says, you and your empire have been cruel and you're going to get what's coming. Verse 18. King of Assyria, your shepherds slumber. Your nobles lie down to rest. Your people are scattered on the mountains with no one to gather them. Nothing can heal you. Your wound is fatal. All who near, hear the news about you will clap their hands at your fall. For who has not felt your endless cruelty? So that there's the third section. Nineveh's destruction is a sure thing. There's, there's nothing they can do to stop it. 
Okay. Can you see what's here then in Nahum chapter 3? God is going to judge and destroy Nineveh. It's a sure thing. Why? First section, it's a sure thing because of their sin. Second section, it's as sure as the destruction of the apparently invulnerable city of Thebes. And then third section, God says, try your best. There's nothing you can do to resist. Do you know what? At the time that Nahum wrote this, what he was saying, it would have seemed utterly ludicrous. The Assyrian Empire, the, the, the city of Nineveh, they were pretty much, as Nahum wrote, they were pretty much at the height of their power. I'm, I'm trying to think of a, a modern equivalent. Just imagine if, um, if a prophet arose today, a claim, person claiming to be a prophet, and, 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 and they said, China and the United States, they're finished. In the next 40 years, they will be defeated and destroyed by Thailand. No one would believe it. Powerful empires, even today, powerful empires, they seem like they'll go on forever. They seem like they can't be defeated. They're unassailable. And yet what Nahum said did come true. In 612 BC, the Assyrian Empire was defeated and destroyed. And even today, look on a map. You will see no nation of Assyria. What Nahum said came true. Which, of course, is why people put his prophecy into the Bible. They realised this is, this is the genuine word of God. All right, let's, let's think about applying this passage to ourselves. Friends, uh, the New Testament tells us God will judge this world. This doesn't just apply to ancient Assyrians. It, it, this is not just for the ancient city of Nineveh. This applies to all people everywhere. God's judgment is a sure thing. And all the stuff that God says here in this chapter about Nineveh, it applies to people today as well. Do you remember the first section? God judged Nineveh. It was a sure thing because of their sin. It's the same for people today. All of us are sinners. Let me, let me show it to you from the Bible. Uh, there on your outline from Romans 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All people have sinned. There's no one righteous in God's eyes. And so judgment is a sure thing for all people. Let me show you again from God's word from Romans chapter 1. And you outline there, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. Uh, also from the book of Hebrews, people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Or from the book of 2 Corinthians, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Like with Nineveh, judgment is coming. It's a sure thing because of our sin. What about the second section of this chapter? If Nineveh, if Nineveh are feeling invulnerable, they, they, 
Nahum said, we should look to the city of Thebes. Look around you. Um, they thought they were invulnerable. They were wrong. Do you reckon you can avoid death and the judgment of God? Friend, look around. The evidence is against you. It's coming to us all. Man is destined to die once and then face judgment. The death rate continues at 100%. There, are, there is nobody in the world alive who's more than, what, 117 years old or something like that at the moment. Death is coming and then you will face judgment and soon, very soon. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you are somehow immune from this. What about the third section of this chapter? Like with the Ninevites, there's nothing we can do to resist God's sure and certain judgment. We are not going to defeat God. We can't, we can't work our way out of judgment. We can't buy our way out of judgment. We can't use some magic formula to get ourselves out of judgment. There's no amount of education or success or anything else that can help us. God's judgment is coming and there is nothing we can do to stop it. Friends, the Bible is clear about it. God is going to judge each and every person. It includes you. It's a sure thing. But friends, the New Testament tells us about one other sure thing, one magnificent sure thing. The New Testament tells us that there is one and only one sure way to be rescued from God's judgment. God sent his son, Jesus, into this world. Jesus, he lived a perfect life, but the one person in history who never sinned. Jesus then died on the cross in our place to bear our sin. Jesus faced the judgment of God that we deserve on our behalf. God then raised Jesus from the dead to show that the job was fully done. And now everyone who relies on Jesus can be saved. Saved from God's wrath and condemnation on Judgment Day. Saved from perishing on Judgment Day. As the Apostle John put it on your outline there, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. God has given Jesus to save us from his anger and wrath on Judgment Day. And, and again, God wants us to be sure about this. He wants us to be certain, certain that if we are relying on Jesus, we will be saved and have eternal life. Do you remember we saw it in 1 John this year, didn't we? Remember 1 John chapter 5? I reckon it's a great memory verse from 1 John chapter 5. Put it on your outline there again. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life not not guess that you have eternal life not not cross your fingers and hope for the best that you have eternal life know that you have eternal life all right friends it is a bit like we're um, in one of the back to the future movies here it's like God has put us into a time machine. He's taken us to the end of time and he has shown us what is going to happen. Here is the future as God has revealed it. 
He's going to judge each and every person in this world because judgment is a sure thing and there's just one sure way to be saved. That is through putting your trust in Jesus. If you believe in the name of the Son of God, you may know that you have eternal life. There's the future. And so friends, the question is this. Let me put it this way. What are you going to bet your life on? What are you going to stake your life on now in the present in the light of this future? You know, most Australians, they, they, don't, they don't know or they don't believe this future and so they, they take a gamble. Still today, most Australians, something like 80% of Australians say that they believe in God. 70%, 80%, something like that. We'll see in the new census, but most of Australians believe in God. But if you ask them, are you going to heaven? Nearly all of them will say this. They'll say, I hope so. They, they hope that they won't face the judgment and anger of God on their sin. They, they hope that they can avoid God's judgment, maybe by being good. That would be the most common response. Or maybe by inventing a God who doesn't judge, who just loves everyone and leaves them alone or something like that. Or, or maybe by just hoping for the best. Australians gamble their future. But friends, you and I, we don't need to take a blind punt on this. We already know the future. We already know who wins this race. We know God's judgment is a sure thing and we know the only sure way to be saved is through Jesus. We have God's word on this. And so friends, here's what we need to do. Again, if I can just put it this way. We need to bet our lives on Jesus. We need to say to God, God, I am a sinner. Of course I'm a sinner. Like the people of Nineveh, like everyone. I haven't loved and obeyed you the way you deserve. I haven't loved my neighbour as myself. We need, to, we need to thank God. God, thank you so much that you gave Jesus to live and die and rise again for me. And then we need to actually take the punt, make the bet, stake our lives on Jesus say to God I'm relying on Jesus for that judgment day I'm not relying on anything I've done I'm relying on what Jesus did because of Jesus God please forgive me save me from your judgment accept me into eternal life I mean I've said bet your life on Jesus but it's not really a gamble is it because we already know the result but friends why wouldn't you back a sure thing? You know the future, so bet your life on Jesus. Let's pray. A gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that even though we are sinners who deserve your judgment, you've given Jesus to live and die and rise again so that we can be saved from your judgment and from wrath and condemnation on that day. Heavenly Father, we pray that on that last day, uh, you will please save us and accept us through what Jesus has done. Help us now to stake our lives on Jesus and to live for him. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.